I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, all my fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I. Emily Lubin, the Grim Reaper and the host of this show. Welcome to RIP Diets, Season 2, Episode 15. We have such an exciting episode for you today. If you listened to the episode last week, you know that I've been trying to get this guest on for a little bit now, and we finally got her on. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Kaya Milstein of Mechanic Shop Femme. She taught me a lot about people with bigger bodies and the troubles that they face shopping for cars and just maintaining the same level of safety in motor vehicles as the rest of the population. This is something that I have to admit I was completely uneducated about and now I feel like I am that much more educated about fat biases and how they work against us in our everyday lives. I'm going to jump into that conversation in just a few, but I wanted to share something with you guys. I saw a movie a couple days ago that I always heard was a great movie, and I was shocked at the depiction of a fat character in this movie. Have you guys seen What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Again, this is a movie I never saw, but I had heard about it because it was Leonardo DiCaprio's breakout role and it had a young Johnny Depp in it and so many good actors. So I decided to watch it a couple nights ago. And God, what is with these problematic films of the 90s becoming classics? We need to uh, ban this movie and completely take it down from streaming services stat. For those of you who haven't seen it, Johnny Depp plays Gilbert Grape and his mother, who is played by an actress I had not heard of before. Her name is Darlene Cates. And in the movie, she is agoraphobic, very heavy, and basically never leaves her couch. And the way that they talk about their mom in this movie is so horrific. There's one scene in particular, Gilbert is walking along with his friend, Tucker. And let me just, I pulled up this quote. Let me read this line of dialogue to you. Okay. How am I going to differentiate between the two characters? Okay. Tucker is going to have a slightly lower voice. So he says, how's mama? She's fat. Come on, man. She's not all that big, Gilbert. What? Listen, I saw a guy at the state fair who was a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger? Look, all I'm saying is that she's not the biggest I've ever seen, okay? Tucker, she's a whale. Well, take her out for a walk once in a while. This is just one instance of a line of dialogue where they completely fat shame the mother and call her a waste of space and just treat her really poorly. I will say the character of the mother, I believe her name was Bonnie in the film. Bonnie's character is a great character. She's a loving mother. She cares so much about her kids and particularly Leonardo DiCaprio's character who I believe is autistic, although I I won't even get into 
the problematic depiction of an autistic person that they somehow thought was acceptable back in the 90s. But then again, I can't judge too harshly a movie that was actually made 30 years ago. Again, it just shows me the progress that we've made as a society, even though we have a ways to go in our depictions of fat people in the media. But God, the fat shaming was enough for me to turn off this movie halfway through. I ended up watching the end of it because I wanted to see how it turned out. Um, you can skip it. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. You can skip this movie. They basically talk about their mother as if she has some kind of flesh eating disease or something that you wouldn't even bear to be able to look at if you went inside their house. I couldn't help but feel really, really bad for the mom when I was watching this. And I looked at her other roles that she played and it seems that her career was riddled with these sort of problematic fat characters. Apparently, she was in an episode of Picket Fences, which is a show that I have never seen also, but she played a woman who killed her husband by sitting on him, which is not to say that that's not possible, but gosh, pour one out for Darlene Cates being pigeonholed her entire career Rest in peace, Darlene Cates, because um, I looked up some info about her and it seems she died in 2017 at the age of 69. Hey, oh, and um, and her career was just that it was she was very much pigeonholed into this depiction of a fat woman and in this very problematic way that the 90s had a real knack for doing in the movies and on TV shows. We all remember Fat Monica from Friends and the way that she was depicted and the way that they showed her weight loss as like this monumental victory and suddenly she was attractive to men. And I, I need another narrative. I desperately need another narrative and I'm happy that we're getting some now. But God, it's taken a long time for us to get here. If anybody wants to commiserate with me about this movie, I am totally open. Slide in my DMs. You can find me at Lubination on Instagram. That's L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Or you can find the podcast at R.I.P. Diets. And um, in other news, just before I get into this conversation, I want to let you guys know my Facebook account was hacked. And I have not been able to access the private Facebook group. I am in touch with Facebook trying to get my account back. But this is creating a mountain of problems for me and I'm dying to know what you guys are saying in the group because I love the conversations that we're having on there so much. So just pray for me, you guys. Pray for me that my account is recovered and I will get back to the Facebook group ASAP. If you have requested to be added to the Facebook group in the past week or so, that's why I haven't gotten to it because I have zero access to my account. Somebody hacked it and then changed the recovery email and the password. And for some reason, that's an insurmountable problem for Facebook. So I'll keep you all abreast of that situation. So without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with Kaya Milstein of Mechanic Shop Femme. This is a badass woman who works as an automotive educator. She teaches people how to purchase, rebuild, fix their cars, do things that we all should know how to do as car owners, but 
very few of us actually know how to do that by ourselves. And as women, we are just not encouraged to know about these things or to have any practical knowledge of fixing or maintaining an automobile, which is crazy. And I am going to take this as a sign that I need to learn more about how to maintain my car. And more specifically, I am going to become more educated in the ways that purchasing an automobile and staying safe in that automobile is so much harder for people living in bigger bodies, which is not something I'd ever thought about before. And we talk about that. We talk about this incredible project that Kaya is working on right now. She's building a directory for people in larger bodies to use to ensure their safety and well-being. And that's going to be at carsforbiggerbodies.com. The site is not live yet, but it will be soon. And she talks about the ways that you can support her in that project. And I absolutely encourage you to do so. We also talk about being called confident as a fat person and the implications of that word and kind of how that word can be a little tricky when people ask you why you're so confident, which I myself asked her in this interview, but quickly I realized how fucked up that was because when I was a fat person, I hated it when people complimented me on my confidence um, because I felt that they would not be attributing that to me if I was in a smaller body. We talk a little bit about fashion. We talk about what it was like to work in the automotive industry as somebody who did not even have a driver's license in the beginning. That shocked me. This interview is full of twists and turns, and I think you all are going to get a whole lot out of it. So here we go. I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Kaya Milstein of Mechanic Shop Femme. Guys, my guest today is one that I'm so excited to talk to. She's an automotive educator, an LGBTQ plus activist, and a plus size style influencer. And I'm so excited. I feel like she's going to teach me a whole lot on this show. Kaya Milstein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm glad to be here. First and foremost, I would love if you could tell the listeners a little bit about Mechanic Shop Femme and about how you came to be interested in cars and build this business that you've built. So I actually knew nothing about cars when I started in the automotive industry. In fact, I didn't even have a driver's license. I started working in the auto industry when I was 18 years old. I had just aged out of the foster care system and I was desperate for a job to say the least. Then somebody connected me with the HR manager at the local Sears department store. And when I interviewed, she was like, Kaya, so what department do you want to work in? And I'm like, uh, and then, you know, true Capricorn fashion. I was like, whatever one makes the most money. yeah of course so she was like uh well that would be appliances or automotive and I was like automotive sounds interesting I'll do that and then of course her next question is do you have a driver's license and my answer was uh no why do I need that 
Wow. You didn't even have a driver's license. <laughs> I did not. And so I, there's actually a big problem with people in the foster care system being able to access um, driver's license because of the way that the system is set up. Um, but so I went and I learned how to drive a car and I got my driver's license and I started working at Sears Auto Center. And, you know, I did not think that this would be something that I was going to spend years dedicated to or create a career around but I started doing it and I grew to like it and I was pretty dang good and one thing led to another and you know it became a career for me and eventually I was running a franchise location and I was really looking for ways to expand what I was doing um, on a financial aspect and I was like, oh, what can I do? So I went through lots and lots of different jobs. I've been, I've worked as an assistant to a podiatrist. I sold food at the farmer's market. I ran a queer Uber in New York City, like an independent car service. Ooh. Um, amongst many, many, many other things. But I was like, man, I, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I never knew what like would be a good fit. And I had all these different experiences that I was doing aside from my full-time job and nothing was quite very fulfilling. And I was speaking to a coach and she suggested that I start a blog. And I was like, oh boy, I'm not a writer. <laughs> English is not my first language. Um, and I, based because of my Hasidic upbringing, I really struggled with the language and specifically with like grammar and all of that. But she's like, Kaya, people want to know what you have to say. Like, this would be interesting for people. So I started writing and people were interested. So, you know, back to the true Capricorn fashion. I was like, okay, I guess I should do something from this. And then I started my Instagram and then, you know, it sort of all blew up from there. And it's been four years now. In June, it's going to be four years. And hey, it's a, it's a full-fledged business. I have people working for me. I have, you know... <laughs> My wedding was in the New York Times. Oh, cool. Incredible. It's crazy how you a lot of people just fall into their career. And at first, like in your early 20s, or I don't know the time period that you're talking about, but you have no idea what you want to do. And you kind of just fall into something and that ends up being your passion. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing that the first real job I landed out of the foster care system was at Sears Auto Center. And if not for that, job and for not for my willingness to go and learn how to drive and try to learn this very odd industry you know in a pretty conservative state and just be willing to embrace whatever came my way I would have never ended up where I was today yeah and um I do follow you on Instagram you talk a lot about how uh, the automotive industry is not so accessible for a lot of people, for queer people, for women. We're just, it's, it, there seems to be a gap there. It seems to be something that's catered a lot towards men. And was that your experience? I know that you also, you grew up in a Hasidic household. So that was probably a component, but did you always think cars, that's not something that I should be into because I'm a woman or, or how did you relate to them growing up? Did you just not think about it? 
it, I mean, it never, it never crossed my mind. Did you ever think about working in the automotive industry, Emily? <laughs> no, never. I do love cars though. I, I've always been very into uh, sports cars from mm -hmm. a very young age, but I don't know how to change a tire. I don't know how to change my oil. I don't know how mm -hmm. to do a lot of things. I think it's because it, it, I was not encouraged to. So, so that's exactly, I started Mechanic Shop Femme to serve a community that has no interest in fixing their own cars. I started Mechanic Shop Femme as this unique perspective and unique information unique educational platform that served regular people who were car owners and drivers who just wanted to better understand their cars to be better, safer, smarter car owners, and to not feel like when they went into the shop, they were wasting money that was unnecessary or on the opposite extreme, just simply not taking care of their cars. So I never went into this to teach people how to fix their cars. And I still don't to this day. It's more about, you know, smarter, more empowered car ownership. Yeah. And a little bit before the recording, you were telling me about this new project that you have, um, which is Cars for Bigger Bodies. You're creating a directory to make car ownership more accessible for people in bigger bodies. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so what I'm doing is, um, you know, I'm an automotive educator. I'm also a journalist and I am a fat person. And what I found over the years is that larger body people have a harder time shopping for vehicles and that there aren't really any great resources that are available around this. But as I started digging deeper, I found a whole slew of other problems and other circumstances in this sector that nobody had ever really quite addressed. I mean, me personally, based on my quote BMI, I'm 80% more likely to die in a car accident than the average straight-sized person uh, who's not considered overweight, which is absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's just, it just completely blows my mind. So what I did is I wanted to study larger people and their cars. And ultimately this study is going to come, is going to convert into multiple different things. The main thing, which is more consumer facing, that's going to benefit larger people as a whole is this directory located on carsforbiggerbodies.com, which is not live yet. We'll be live hopefully by the end of the summer, but you can subscribe to the email list there if you want to be notified. And that directory will help people have at their fingertips be able to determine which cars are more likely to fit without having to go and test drive a multitude of vehicles or dig through lots and lots of anecdotal evidence because this is going to be really data-driven based on you know a collection of experiences to find the best options for different people. And it's also going to take things like height into consideration, how you carry your weight, you know, depending on where your weight is on your body, it your the way that the seat and the seat belt and the steering wheel and different things are going to fit you are going to be different. So that's just one part. And that's going to be the part that I think will ultimately make the biggest impact just for a regular person who's a car owner. But it's also going to allow me to create data driven journalism that I will be able to sell to publications to talk about the issues that larger bodied people face 
with their vehicles as a whole. Things like seatbelt extenders. Are seatbelt extenders being offered to people who need them? How should they be offered to people who need them? What kind of safety concerns do larger car owners and drivers have about their vehicles? What percentage of people over the amount of people who've taken this study have never found a car that fits their body well? that's been made in the last 10 years. These are all things that I'm going to be able to then use at the statistical data to hopefully create resources, bring attention to the concerns that are, that people in my community have, and ultimately, you know, hopefully move the needle a little bit on, you know, what we have access to and how things are created for us, because this just, I mean, no, it's insane. And I didn't know that statistic that people in larger bodies are 80% more likely to, to get in a car accident up to, can you break it down up to 80%. So, I mean, could you break that down for me in layman's terms, why that is? I think there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Some that I can tell you like right away would be things like seatbelts. Um, if you are a larger body person, you drive a car where the seatbelt does not fit you, which means you cannot buckle your seatbelt, you are automatically, you're going to be more likely to get seriously injured or die in a car accident because you don't have the benefits of this very basic safety system that's built into your vehicle, which is connected to systems like your airbag system and so forth. Um, There are seatbelt extenders. Many people do not know about seatbelt extenders for vehicles, which is a huge concern, but there's also times when you don't have access to the seatbelt extender. Let's say you're driving in an Uber or your friend's car, which is why I tell people that everybody should own a seatbelt extender. And I learned that the hard way. I had a friend who came into my car and the passenger side seatbelt is shorter than the driver's side. It never crossed my mind and they were not able to buckle their seatbelt. And for me, that was like, wow, I'm somebody who goes out of my way to try to make sure that my my spaces and my life and my services and the way I approach the world is as accessible as possible. And I didn't have this basic accessibility device that was necessary for somebody just living their life. So I think everybody should have a seatbelt. So that's one thing, but other things include where your seatbelt, where your steering wheel is in relation to your belly. If you have to sit with your belly up against your steering wheel, you're more likely to get injured because the airbag is going to explode directly into your body without having that gap there. And I mean, and this just begins, that's just a start. Like from what I've seen, I don't see any studies that could tell you conclusively why larger people are more likely. And this is two things that I can tell you off the top of my head but cars are just not tested for larger bodies. Things like seats breaking because the seat capacity is not big enough for larger people is also a problem. Wow. And, and that's something that people don't really consider. You know, when we talk about amenities for bigger bodies, we talk about, you know, seats on an airplane, for example, but I've never even heard somebody breach the topic of changing the way that we talk about cars or the way that we shop for cars in larger bodies. I've never heard anybody get into that. It seems like this is like a really necessary resource. 
they're extremely necessary and somehow some way nobody's quite that I have seen I mean if somebody knows of a resource that I don't know about I have <laughs> not seen any resource any good studies on the matter and honestly I've spent years earning the trust of my community and I have a proven track record of showing up and getting the work done and doing it in a way that's thoughtful and well planned out and that has ultimately a good impact and a significant impact and taking my work as an automotive educator and as a journalist and as a fat person and putting all of those three things together to build this resource and conduct this study is really important. If I was not the person I was, I don't know if I would be able to reach the people I have because it takes a level of trust to share this kind of really personal, intimate information with a study, with a survey where you just have to yeah. click a bunch of boxes. But I mean, anybody who's listening, you could Google my name and you can find the work that I've done. You can find the accolades that I've received. At this point, I have simply invested a lot of money and time and energy and thought into this project that is likely not going to benefit me financially in any kind of way, any kind of significant way in the long term, nor do I necessarily need it to. It is something that I do to benefit the, com the community. And if it does one day, I mean, that would be great. But at this yeah. point, I don't see that as an eventuality. Right. Well, you never know. But I mean, anybody listening, you absolutely should follow Kaya on Instagram. Her Instagram is poppin'. You also have a really unique sense of style, which is really refreshing. And you take photos with cars in your outfits. I'm assuming when you did work with cars, you didn't dress like that. But sometimes, 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 sometimes. Um, the shoes were definitely more practical, but I was, I was very well known for being the person with colorful hair, the person with interesting outfits. I bent every rule that you could pot. I mean, I've had places that have essentially changed the rules because, <laughs> 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 because of how I brought myself into the space. So like, they would be like, you have to wear these fan specific polos now. This is the change. And I'm like, great. And I will wear it with a skirt. <sighs> Are you going to stop me? <laughs> you show up in the polo shirt and like a feather boa or something. <laughs> yeah. It was more than like very tight, like short skirts. Um, not quite that short, but I enjoyed those. Um, I've had all kinds of different colors, hair. I've always been known as somebody who likes big, bold, colorful. And I was raised Hasidic, so I'm used to wearing skirts and long sleeves and doing things that most people would not consider proper to be done in those types of outfits, like biking and rollerblading and swimming. So why not working in an auto repair shop? <laughs> so I've done all the things, but yeah, I do like my bright colors and I've enjoyed being able to create content that is just very different from what you'd expect from yeah. anybody. Like, yeah. And it's very eye-catching <laughs> and I assume a lot of people are attracted to that aspect of it. Like you can work with cars, but you can also 
be feminine. And that's important to me. It's really important that I bring that femininity to my work. Like, I feel like a lot of people feel like if you're somebody who's going to work in a quote male dominated industry, that you have to change the things about you to sort of feel like you're more blended in. But I never wanted to do that. I'm, I identify as a queer femme. I am femme. And I refuse to erase myself or hide myself or shrink myself to make myself more palatable to people who want to indulge in my free educational content that I've that I'm offering. And, you know, people are sometimes people on my videos, like, why do you say you're queer? You know, why do you have to wear an outfit at the beginning of your video? Because I am part of my work without me, there is no work and I'm not going to erase myself from my content. And that's very important to me. Yeah. And that's huge. I mean, that (laughs) takes a lot of confidence to do that because I'm, I'm sure, you know, obviously, like you said, it's a male dominated industry. And I'm sure that a lot of women who tend to lean towards that industry might be a little more tomboyish, might be a little more butch. Um, did you face any judgment or any adversity early on in your career for dressing the way you do, or just being feminine in general? So I think it's a misconception that women, um, in the automotive industry are more butch or more tomboyish than traditional. Um, I think many women dress in practical clothing. That's not me. Um, And Mm -hmm. come to work to work. And as somebody who's spent most of my career on the service side of things, helping customers and managing shops, as opposed to pulling engines, I had a little bit more freedom in how I expressed myself through my clothing. Uh, but there, many of the women that I encounter in the automotive industry uh, are very feminine. And although they may not be feminine at work, because they don't see femininity necessarily in the same way I do, that doesn't mean they're not feminine outside of work. You know, right. and, and of course, you know, the whole, what does feminine mean to like, neither, right. of these, neither of these scenarios are not feminine in, in their, in their essence, but in the context that we're discussing it, did I face people who had some issues with me? Um, yes. Many of them women, uh, especially older women, uh, who just did not trust or believe many men, but I don't know. I feel like I had this way of sort of disarming people, being able to tell somebody you're sexist without making them feel like they were in the wrong and just like pointing out the behavior and then becoming friends. Um, A lot of people are uncomfortable with that. That like I I think that's a hundred percent the way to go, but a lot of people are so uncomfortable with that, like pointing out, hey, the way that you phrased that was a little bit, you know, that that was that had an air of misogyny, or you know, because we don't want to have these uncomfortable conversations in the workplace, but I think they're really important to have if we want that to change. Right, because I think the biggest problem I had in the automotive industry was less about me being a woman and more about me being a loud, aggressive, fat, outspoken woman. I was not going to take anybody's shit. Excuse me. I don't know if you allow cursing, but here it is. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was not going to take anybody's shit. And I had no fear of anything. 
I knew the quality of the work I produced. I knew the connections that I made with the people, with my customers and the people around me. And if there was a problem with it and the problem couldn't be resolved, I had no problem moving on somewhere else to a place that would appreciate my unique personality and my way of bringing things to the table. And that was really off-putting to people. (laughs) Yeah, I could imagine. I'm wondering, have you always been this confident? Did you have to build it over time? What were the main experiences in your life that made you comfortable being like this loud, aggressive, queer woman? Or is that just innate to your personality? Were you always like that? I was always loud and aggressive. And it for a long time, it did not benefit me. For a long time, it, it actively worked to my disadvantage. And I had a hard time pulling back and and being the person that I was needed to be in order to succeed in the situations that I was in. But I was always loud and I was always assertive and I was always pretty confident. Uh, Confident is a strange word. I I was comfortable. I was comfortable in my skin and in the way I was. Did I appear on the outside as a confident person? No, because look, when we see fat people and we think confidence, we think fat people in bikinis and shorts and showing their arms. And while many fat people go through this time period where they have to learn how to appreciate the way their body is and quote, get confidence to wear these pieces of clothing, that was not my experience because I grew up, like I said, in a Hasidic home where I was expected to cover up all the time. So putting on clothes like a pair of jeans was a big deal, not because of my size, but because of the way I had grown up. So it took a long time for me to come into my own style and my own sense of self and to be able to outwardly expressed through my clothing, my level of quote, confidence in my body and in my choices, mostly because I didn't understand how style worked. I still don't, I still don't quite understand how style works. I just wear what makes me feel happy and comfortable. And sometimes like in the last six months, I scroll through clothing sites and I'm like, geez, and nothing speaks to me, especially mm-hmm. with this whole comfy phase where everybody's wearing sweatpants and stuff like. Ah, uh, we're t- you're talking to me wearing a full sweat outfit right now. <laughs> well, I'm wearing a Jabri top, you know, from this yes. fabulous designer and like, yeah, this is my. Uh... <laughs> I love it. No, I, I love it. But what you said about the word confident is so true. And I haven't told you anything about my history, but I grew up classified as overweight. And whenever people would say to me like, wow, you're so confident. I wish I had your confidence. That word really rubbed me the wrong way because to me that just meant, oh, wow. Like it's so great that you have the confidence to like speak in front of the class or like just act the way that everybody else is acting, even though you're in this body, like that's what the implication felt like to me. Um, Right. So like, why am I doing this regular thing that everybody else does? And 
this is supposedly confident. I right. mean, why don't you instead talk about my confidence and having a New York Times photographer at my wedding? That is confidence to be able to go through and get married while somebody representing one of the most quote, prestigious publications in the United States is standing there and taking your pictures. I mean, that is confidence. That is, honestly, I would be shitting myself. Like the thought of, I'm not married, uh, but the thought of getting married, especially with with my history, you know, I deal with a lot of problems with my self-image and photography always made me uncomfortable. So the idea of having this formal event where there's a professional photographer taking your picture and like, like you're, they're supposed to be candid, right? But you kind of, I would feel like I still need to be on. Like I would still feel like that. So on top of that, you know, they were definitely candid. They were definitely candid. candid. Well, and I saw the pictures, they're, they're gorgeous, but, um, but yeah, that must've added a whole other level to it of knowing like, this is going to be published to the, to the New York times. Yeah. Well, this is where I say, yes. Am I confident? Absolutely. The confidence to stand there and, you know, read my vows and cry and be present a hundred percent with my wife during this important moment in our life while it's being live streamed to 10,000 people and New York Times photographer there, that is confidence. And I am inherently an incredibly confident person, just not for the reasons that people tell me I'm confident. Right. I'm wondering, do you get a lot of hate on social media? I'm I like, I'm sure that you get a ton of adoration and people looking at your page and saying, oh my God, this is so refreshing, but do you get hate and how do you deal with it? If you get that hate? So so not as much as I see a lot of other, um, larger creators getting. And I think part of that is because I don't have the, the traditionally, um, fetishized fat body in the same way, um, where I am more quote unquote male formed, um, just in the way that I am. And that, um, impacts the level of hate and garbage that I get from people, which Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm extremely appreciative of, but recently when I put out a video about this study, on Instagram and on TikTok. On TikTok, it did fine. On Instagram, I mean, it's been like two weeks, I think, or we, yep, I think two weeks. And I'm still blocking dozens of people every day. I no. mean, I was, I, you know, my sister um, handles some of my Instagram stuff and she's like, she's like, I'm going through here every day and there are so many comments, like where are all these people coming from? I mean, just like attacking, like to know tomorrow. And that doesn't usually happen. And I'm grateful that that doesn't usually happen. But this just, I mean, (laughs) it, it was starting to really bother me more in the sense of I've created this space where it's safe for people to be as they are, whatever way they are. And, you know, I've done polling of my audience and they are not majority plus size. 
So oh, the majority are straight sized people. And I, but I've created this space where everybody can come and be as they are while leaving space for other people to be as they are. Of course, you, you can't be as you are to step over somebody else. Of um, course. And I've created this space and this video is essentially going viral and people come to this video and see dozens and I mean, and I counted like over 200 comments in two hours that were wow. just basically telling me to die. How dare I tell car manufacturers to change the cars because of my size. I mean, I'm just like hate after. And it wasn't even like the troll accounts that you expect with like no pictures. This is real people with real Instagram profiles. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And they so, feel yeah. that compelled to right? tell you that you should die. What, what in the world would compel you to go into somebody's video? And I intentionally made it personal. So one thing I did is take this out of the, the, uh, like the atmosphere, you know, where people talk about things and it's like abstract. This is not abstract. Stop looking at this. This is abstract. Hi, me, Kaya, mechanic shop femme. I am 80% more likely to die in a car accident. So it's not like you were talking about fat people in the abstract. You were literally telling me that I do not deserve a car that fits my body, which I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, and I think since I put that video up, I think I lost like six or 700, six or 700 followers. And you never know oh, if that's why it, you don't know if that's because of Instagram, you know, just cleaning out the bots or whatever. Um, but it can feel uncomfortable, but honestly, they're not my people. Right. Right. <laughs> they're not but my that's people. So, but even though, and I, you know, I've never experienced anything like that, never anything like that, but it is crazy how there could be, you know, a hundred glowing comments, just such nice complimentary comments. And your eye kind of goes to the one negative comment and it makes you feel really shitty. And how do you, how do you deal with that on this mass scale? How do you, how do you keep going and and find a way to shut those voices out? Well, in this case, it wasn't like finding the one bad comment. It was it was it was hundreds. It was of bad. overwhelmingly. It was negative. over. Yeah, like you know, one or two or three or ten or fifty comments is not doesn't you know phase me, but when there's hundreds of them, especially when they're not for people who are obviously trolls, that really, uh, it was uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, I think there is this desire to, to correct people and to debate with people. And as, uh, you know, an influencer, you know, a public figure, you have to decide how you're going to deal with trolls. And I've dealt with them in all kinds of different ways sometimes responding to them, sometimes blocking them, sometimes raising money because of the things they've said. Uh, I raised over $800 for the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance after somebody shared my wedding picture in a troll group saying the only reason we married each other is because nobody else would essentially have us. Oh, so, fuck off. So I, yeah, I posted a Twitter thread and I 
donated money for every retweet and everybody, uh, a bunch of people joined me and we ultimately raised over $800. So I've done all kinds of things, but when it's at this mass scale, it does not make sense to argue. The more you engage with these, these folks, the more you're gonna get sucked into this really uncomfortable space. So for me, it's just block. You see it, you block. Yeah. You see it, you block. Because I don't. I also don't want other people to have to be continuously exposed to this that are come there, come to my community for a safe space to be. Yeah, and you know, I think that people could take away from that, even if they don't have a big following, even if they don't experience that particular thing, you can take it on kind of a micro level of, you know, because I think a lot, I on this podcast, I talk about rejecting the diet mentality and accepting the body that you have. And I think a big concern for a lot of people is like, well, what am I, what am I going to tell people when they ask me why I'm gaining weight or why I'm not trying to lose weight or, you know, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? Um, people say they're concerned for my health, all these different things that have everything to do with other people and nothing to do with themselves. And I think we can take that on kind of a micro level and be like, okay, if somebody does not understand the way that you are trying to live your life in a positive way, you don't need to engage with them at all. Right. They're not your people. You, you don't have to spend your energy on them if you don't want to. There are cases that will ultimately benefit you. And this, this is not about like genuine conversation or genuine, you know, interactions. These are about people who have, have no, they got no weight here. There's no reason for them. There's no reason for you to engage with them. There's no reason for you to essentially be bullied by them and blocking just saves you time and energy and it automatically deletes the comment by the way so it takes just as much work to block somebody as it does to delete the comment so if you go block them it will delete the comment automatically that's very useful to know <laughs> i'm going to write that in my notes app for future thank you no um finally if there's one thing or if there's one idea that you want people to take away from this or to take away about your project that you didn't get to share please share because we got to wrap up soon and I would love to, you know, get everything so, out there. A lot of people listening to this would be like, oh, maybe I'm not the right size for this project or it's not a right fit for me. But ultimately the only way that a study at this magnitude could be successful is if everybody goes and shares this and puts it out into the world and makes it as publicly available as possible so that it could reach the people that are the right candidates for the study and ultimately, you know, take the survey. And people want, you know, you show your allyship by sharing something like this. Hey, it's important to me that my friends and family members and loved ones in larger bodies have access to resources that are created in a non-humiliating, non-degradating way and don't have to waste their time, energy, and you know emotional capacity going and test driving 10 cars before they find one that actually works for them. So I'm sure the link will be in the show notes. Take the link. Yes, and absolutely. 
go post it on Facebook, go post it in your Facebook groups. Groups are really powerful things, especially for something like this. And add a few sentences about why it's important. That makes a difference too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I preach that on this show every week. It's really fucking important to be an ally, even if you yourself are straight-sized, even if you have never experienced any of these things. It's important. It's so important to show your support for your fat friends, fat family members, people that you know they're going out into the world and the world just simply isn't made for them in so many ways. So I think this is an amazing project. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of people interested in it. Where can people find you and follow you? And if you want to plug the website again, that'd be great. Sure. So you can find me on all social media except for Twitter um, with the Mechanic Shop Femme handle, uh, including TikTok. So if you want to learn like cool stuff about cars, I have lots and lots and lots of videos on TikTok. Um, I also go live on TikTok where you can ask questions as you have them and stuff like that. Um, and then on Twitter, it's at Mechanic Femme because Twitter does not allow that many characters. Mm. Uh, Twitter. God, you Twitter change and their that. character limit. No, I'm so <laughs> sick of, I'm done with them. I'm done. So, uh, you know, you can find me at all those social medias. Um, the link to the survey will also have the link to the site, but the site is carsforbiggerbodies.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on this show and teach me about all of these things. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that was this week's conversation with Kaya Milstein of Mechanic Shop Femme. Definitely give her a follow on Instagram. Definitely support her upcoming project. And another thing that I learned in this conversation, buy seatbelt extenders because we all have friends in larger bodies family members in larger bodies. We don't know when they're going to need a ride from us and we want to make sure that they're as safe as possible in our cars. And one way that we can ensure that is by having one or two seatbelt extenders in our cars. Even if we don't live in larger bodies, we need to be allies. And I thought that was a really great piece of information that she shared with me among so many others. So that's it, you guys. As always, slide into my DMs on Instagram. You can also email me at ripdiets at gmail.com. And if you want even more RIP Diets content, go to patreon.com slash RIP Diets. I upload bonus podcast episodes, videos, vlogs. I like to give you guys a more intimate look at my recovery and my life as a weight neutral, body neutral human being living on this planet. And we have a lot of fun on there. So I hope to see more of you on there. And in the meantime, have a fabulous week. I'll see you next Monday for another edition of RIP Diets. Peace out. Peace out.